Hello and welcome to the History of Internal Communication podcast. My name is Joe Chick and I'm a research fellow at the Brunel Business School. In this podcast series, I will be exploring the history of an occupation that's often assumed to be a recent innovation, but which actually has its roots in the late 19th century. My work is part of a project funded by the Economic and Social Research Council called An Institutional History of Internal Communication in the United Kingdom. In today's episode, we have the pleasure of speaking with Liz Clayton-Jones, who has a wealth of experience and insights that have shaped the way we connect and engage within organisations. Liz began her career in internal communication in 2006 when she joined Mars. She held a pivotal role in the company's internal communications as the editor of the company magazine. In 2019, Liz founded the consultancy Beehive Performance Limited. In November's episode, we hear some fascinating insights ranging from her interest in communicating with introverts to changes in society that have altered the way we communicate. The first thing that's always interesting to hear from anyone we're talking to is how you first became involved in internal communication, because a general theme seems to be people don't tend to actively seek a career in internal communication and seem to find themselves working in it, but then become quite passionate about it once they are. Yes. And, you know, I'm not different to that, Joe. So uh, certainly when I was um, going through my education, uh, I didn't even know there was a career in internal communication. And I would argue there probably wasn't either. So uh, my my career, you know, I have a nearly 40 year career history now. So it gives you an indication of how long ago that was. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, that, that sort of framing for a career wasn't there. Um, and I went into work to um, in, in, I had a very, very good relationship uh, and value link with the company that I was working for. Um, so I was able to grow my career within that, but take different pathways. So it was like re- almost reinventing myself every five years rather than having to leave a company to do that. I was able to change career within that organization and coming into internal com- comms was um, you could call it accident or you could call it serendipity. Um, I was looking for a career shift at the same time as a brand new specialist role in internal communication and employee engagement was advertised. Um, I read the descri- job description and it felt like coming home. Mm. Oh, interesting. And that's one thing that did uh, strike me that's maybe a bit different from what we've seen with quite a lot of other people working in internal comms. Quite often they seem to go through just a year or two in quite a variety of different organisations. But you obviously stuck with Mars for quite a long time. You had a substantial time there. So how did you find it then as an organisation? For me, I think, you know, when you find a company that's really aligned with your own values and does work in a way that is in alignment with those values, then um, and you get the flexibility. So I think one of the things that Mars Incorporated is very good at is if you are a culture fit and you are enjoying that at the environment that they give you and they give you a lot of freedom and a lot of responsibility, um, you are they are able to allow you to tr- to use your skills in a kind of transferable way. So my career spanned pretty much every function, uh, with the exception of any function that involved maths, because that's not my strong point. So commercial mm. and finance were not on my on my CV, but um, but pretty much every other department I touched at some point in the thirty one years I was with the business, and there aren't very many organisations 
uh, that would do that, 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 that wouldn't just pigeonhole you in one place and say, right, well, you started in finance, so you have to stay in finance for 30 years. Some people choose to, uh, but there's also the choice not to do that. Um, so my core career was in research and development, but I found that actually I was a very poor scientist, but really good at communicating the science to people who weren't scientists. Hmm. So, um, so that gave me a, a road into developing my communication skills and my learning and development skills. So training people, um, training lay people to do science. Um, and that's, that's really the transition that, uh, helped me move into uh the internal communications role okay yeah i guess having a large organization like mars creates lots of career opportunities like you say to work on lots of different things but i assume that also brings some challenges with the communication then when it's a large organization and you've got lots of teams where people maybe uh their work impacts on each other but they don't necessarily ever really have direct contact so were yeah. there some challenges on that front then yeah, and I think one of the, one of the, uh, the one of my beliefs, one of my core beliefs, if you like, is uh, that when whenever you face into whenever you have a big organisation like Mars, yes, for sure, the tone is set at the top, but the, the lasting um, resilience of a business, the lasting ability for change, the lasting ability for engagement happens at team level. Um, a, a phrase that uh, an, an ex-CEO of Mars used, which was based in the Peter Block uh, community work, is change the world one room at a time. So, so that this idea of that the, the, the team is the or the small group unit is your agent of change. So, the importance of having high-performing collaborative teams is key not just knowing how you perform as a team, but how that sort of spiders off into all these other areas of connection. Um, so that whilst the leaders may be setting the tone top down, the teams are also working um, bottom up, if you like, um, mm. making sure that each unit of change is at its very best in terms of performance. And with that, you change the world. Okay. Uh, so it's very, very important to ensure that all those tentacles of communication, both top down and bottom up, are happening really well. Yeah. And obviously, we're studying the history of internal communication. And one thing that we've found is that obviously, as society keeps changing, the way that uh, the kind of main forms of communication within organisations have to keep changing as well. So did you, in the time that you were there, find uh, changes in the what were kind of the predominant activities you're involved with and the main forms of communication? Yeah, for sure. So the role that I played, um, so it, it may help just to get a, um, a view of where the role of internal communications was in general when I started working in it. So my first uh, foray into internal communication was in 2005. Uh, so digital communication was very basic then. Some companies had an external website. In fact, Mars didn't in, at that particular time. They were a very private company and didn't uh, broadcast themselves to the world. I think they, they then realized that they needed to. So, you know, so 2006 saw the sort of transition into having an extranet, if you like, as well as uh, being uh, focused internally. But uh, so we, we were really at the grassroots of things. But so a lot of what we did was printed, uh, published, or was face-to-face. -face. And the business had a very heavy focus on great face-to-face -face communication because over 50% of the 
employee base, if you like, were manufacturing. Mm. And uh, when you look at uh, an, an organization that's very heavily um, employing people in manufacturing when they're on the factory floor with a very important factory job to do, which may well be run by technology, but still needs people to be focused on that technology 100% of their, their time working shifts, they don't have time to log on and read a newsletter. Mm. What they may have on their factory line is a tea station where they can go and put their feet up for 10 minutes and pick up a magazine or pick up a bulletin um, because there won't be computers in there for them to access. So um, I guess what we focused on in the very early stages of my um, tenure in internal comms was how well are the internal communication forums working? How could they work even better? So there was a lot of emphasis on training line managers to cascade information in a way that enabled them to translate the information in the right context and language for their actual team. And then to, you know, really be confident in asking, answering questions, covering doubts and concerns, and then potentially feeding back up through the system uh, if there were concerns that couldn't be resolved by that line manager himself. That meant that we had to make sure that the leader communications into the manager community was really clear and that they had an opportunity to get themselves clear. So, you know, what does that mean for me? Um, I didn't understand that phrasing you used then. So you know, let me let you know explain it to me so I can explain it to my team. So really trying to get clear verbal clarity, but also the focus on two-way communication. So real communication doesn't happen if the person receives the message in a different way to the one you meant it. Yeah. So I guess it was real, you know, the real grassroots then of of um how we communicate as human beings um in a way that creates absolute clarity. Uh, it's not to say we were perfect in every respect because people are people, right? But uh but you know, giving people the the equipment and the tools and the knowledge to be able to um, check understanding, make sure that the message had been received in the way that it had been intended uh, to allow associates to have a voice. Uh, so Mars calls their employees associates rather than employees. So if I use that word, you know, you can yeah. <laughs> pop it in and out. Yeah. Um, but making sure that there were also independent uh, employee voice forums so that there were uh, so so Mars fundamentally uh, isn't a unionized business. It's not that they aren't unionized. It's just people don't feel the need to be part of a union. So uh, but, but part of that when I was there was because we had these really robust employee voice forums where they could come together with representatives from different teams and departments to discuss the really important aspects of the day and they were also used to sense check policy not to change the policy necessarily but to think about how it might best be implemented um, so that there was always a, um, a perspective um, that that these um, uh, employees could feel that they had a say you know they might not be able to change national legislation because that's what you you got but they might be able to say how it is best implemented or even how it's best communicated because they were the people it was going to get communicated to so there's lots of emphasis on this um excellent face-to-face -face communication and then the sort of publications so 
uh, we had a company magazine that was established in 1947 and was still running uh, when I left the business uh, in 2019. Okay. But it, it, all of that time, it was a printed edition mm. because people could pick it up, take it home. Uh, it was always checked to make sure the content could be taken home because it was all about the people. You know, so people would flick through it and I was, is there anybody in here I know? Yeah, know? yeah. <laughs> um, and it was still in principle for me in 2019, yeah. was it then? Okay, oh, that's interesting because, of course, a lot of uh, businesses, if they'd even kept their magazines going by that point, so they'd become digitised. So that's, yeah. yeah, and it did did eventually do exactly that. But yeah. we were still doing a small print run uh, for the manufacturing communities and to leave in our reception area and things when uh, mm. in 2019 when I left. Yeah. Uh, so it sounds like quite a lot of your role was a coaching role with coaching uh, managers to be communicative. Yes. Yeah, yes, which absolutely. You've heard from other people is sort of increasingly that's become uh, what the job is about is uh, coaching others. Yeah. 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 And of course, there has been obviously the rise of digital communication and social media. Do you, uh, but it sounds like obviously there's that strong emphasis on face to face communication still in Mars. So uh, do you think that did kind of fundamentally change communication or actually was it just sort of an additional add-on to what was already there? So I think it started as an add-on. Um, mm. uh, it, 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 of course, evolves. And, I, I, you know, it's been four years since I've been in that particular organisation. So I'm not in a position to say what's happened over the last four years. And it's quite feasible that they, are, they have made massive inroads. Um, I know when digital communication got started, there was, um, in terms of its uh, ubiquity, uh, there were some concerns about it being exclusive where um, roles didn't allow for constant connection. Mm. For instance, in manufacturing, we also uh, have a big um, veterinary health section of the business where, you know, if you're nurses, veterinary nurses or vets looking after pets, you haven't got time to keep checking your phone and see if somebody's posted something that you're interested in. Um, And with, with a very large business, particularly some forms of digital communication, you get so much response that you'd lost the original question within maybe two hours. So if you weren't available in that two hour period, you'd, you'd have missed that because uh, the algorithms would have sent you somewhere else. Uh, so um, th- there was cert- that there was a lot, like I assume with a lot of businesses, lots of test and learn, um, you know, let's, you know, let's do this initiative and try something else. What was really interesting in Mars, and I believe in a lot of other organizations, um, and every now and again, I see this on LinkedIn as still being a conversation. So um, it'd be interesting for, for perhaps your, your listeners to uh, to think about this was um, where the role of internal communication sat within an organization. So when I, so, so digital caused caused it prompted a shift in ownership so when I um, became the internal comms manager my role sat in HR and it was a collaborative role so my role was two I had two hats I had internal communication and employee engagement and actually one would assume that that was one hat but uh, increasingly in departments and companies those have split um, and I felt very privileged and very protective almost of that dual hat because internal comms has an enormous impact on employee engagement. 
uh, and the fact that I I was I got to control both. I wasn't really controlling them, but because I could manage both and because yeah. I could see where the synergies went, our communication made sure it always had an, an, an engagement emphasis so to help people see how they fitted into this connect this picture, how they how, how they could emotionally connect with the messaging. Uh, but also we could then see how the employee engagement initiatives could be best communicated and it was a beautiful synergy. Uh, well, mostly. Uh, I'm not going to say we got it right 100% yeah. of the time, but mostly. Um, as we went into digital communications, certainly within um, the Mars business, because it had never had an extranet before, it never had an external presence in 2006, the first external website was being developed. And that was a whole different um, ball game. And it was owned by our corporate communication division, which was brand new function then that the company had never had before it had external relations that was much more about about community connection um so corporate communication brand new function uh they would did all of the external communication and it was felt that internal communication belonged in the same place so that there was full alignment between the external and internal message uh, which meant that the role moved out, the internal communication part of the role moved out of HR and into corporate communication and employee engagement stayed in HR. Now, I stayed with the employee engagement function, went on to be a big specialist in that area, but always made sure that I kept a foot in my internal communication camp. So building relationships with the people that were then managing that and doing my best to uh not throw the baby out with the bath water mm -hmm. um and i would say the results were different uh i was going to say mixed um uh, so there were some successes and some things that did um have some groups of people feeling a little excluded and i think with all digital communication and social media you know, we see it in the national press all the time in international press even where some of this digital communication can be misconstrued. Um, anyone who's done any kind of communication training will know that when you get to uh, look at the ratio of your body language and your tone versus your actual words, you know, mm. most of what you gain from a message is how people come across yeah. uh, with their tone and in, uh, with their body language. And that's missing from every yeah. piece of static digital communication. So it gives people the opportunity to read things with emphasis that wasn't intended. Mm. And therefore, you know, whether you're in a company or whether it's Twitter or whether it's Instagram, you, you have the ability to read into somebody's words, something that was never intended in the first place. Yeah. You either have to be an incredibly gifted writer, which let's be fair, most people aren't, you know, yeah. otherwise we'd all be best-selling authors. <laughs> mm. um, or uh you have the risk you run the risk of having your messages taken out of context which we see all the time and and it's not different in in, in an inside an organization is my belief um and i think with lots of social media digital there is also this immediacy that encourages people to um maybe hold back on some of their whole truth mm. so uh some of the risks that i saw before i moved away from 
being fully involved in internal comms. So my last five years was, was very much in a different field. I went back to research and development, learning and development. But prior to that, what I did see was that where we had forums for chat online, it was very much frowned upon if you were at all negative or questioning. Mm. And I think that can come across even in our digital forum, you know, external digital forums like, you know, Instagram or Twitter. People don't like negativity. You know, they want to thrive on positivity. So, you know, the chat, the chat uh, within certain forums was, oh, I've done this and this person's achieved that. And it was all wonderful, but there was no space for people to go. I don't get it yeah <laughs> so that thing that we were able to do so well with the face-to-face -face cascade which is i'm really sorry boss but you've given me that thing and i just don't understand it yeah <laughs> why does that concern me or why is it being done like that that yeah. um voice mm -hmm. didn't get silenced it found other for uh, other, other ways of working but perhaps it for me at least felt a little less clean mm. absolutely yeah and of course, you then uh, moved into consultancy work uh, just before the pandemic started. And oh, yeah, uh, it was fun. <laughs> yeah, seeing it, obviously, it's quite a major change, quite often by people in internal comms with the sudden shift to remote working that uh, changed the whole uh, nature of communication. So, what was it like then, kind of working with clients uh, at that time when things were changing so much? So, I, you know, I actually enjoyed the experience of uh, playing differently. But by that time, my work had segued very much into working with how to connect teams and how to build high performing teams, uh, how to build trust and psychological safety be be between teams. And whilst the move to, to, to digital or to virtual was uh, a surprise, should we say, um, I was able to um, I, I had some great clients in the diary who were up for an experiment. So uh, position, you know, not suddenly advertising myself as some incredible virtual um, facilitator guru, but saying to my clients, look, we're all learning here. Let's, mm -hmm. let, you know, how, up, how up for you are, are you for playing with some stuff? And, and using what I know about um, human psychology, and I'm also a, uh, accredited in physical intelligence, uh, using some of that to bring life to the screen, encouraging people to still connect and make eye contact, to understand how they can make connections by generating you know, oxytocin and dopamine responses in each other by just being connected online not relying on email 100% of the time, not having your camera off because you're worried about your hair or whether you're still in your jammies, but actually saying it doesn't matter because what we want is who you are. Uh, and actually, in some ways, the pandemic in that team communication space, where it worked well, it enabled people to see more of people. Yeah, you know, I, I get a lovely view of your background there, Joe. You likewise with me, and I've been able to use this, you know, in talking about how teams work and how your natural gifts play into that team. You know, you can say anyone just has to look up at my bookcase and know organization is not necessarily one of my gifts. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. otherwise it would all be neatly done by color or by author or by size. And actually it's just shoved in there how it fits, and that's that's the end of that yeah <laughs> uh, and every now and again I take books out and then I put other ones back in so so we learn so much more about each other you know we've learned about 
uh, people who've had children at home coming up and asking for help with their homework while they're in a really important business call or, you know, the, the ubiquitous Amazon delivery driver knocking on the door <laughs> just at a really critical point or, um, you know, your pets coming for a walk. And it humanised a lot of uh, how people felt about each other. It's not perfect for sure. You miss the coffee connections. You miss the informality of communication as it runs through an organization. But it also enabled people to, in some spaces where there was enough psychological safety built to just be safe being themselves. And that it didn't matter if they hadn't done the housework or they needed a new kitchen or their cat stuck their, you know, bottom in the face of their boss. <laughs> it was just, it, it, there was a lightness there. Um, I even found there was one particular person I had been, I was starting a working relationship with and I'd been told they were quite, um, uh, quite prickly, shall I say, and, that's, uh, and, and maybe difficult to get to know. So the thought of having to do that virtually was uh, interesting. Um, but it was to, to went into the conversation, you know, prepared to, to 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 talk about what what was possible to explore, what was possible together. And my cat jumped up on the desk, and it was just like, oh, I could really have done without you being here right now. And the guy absolutely adored cats. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> she've got a cat. What's what's his name? You know, and. Yeah. and five minutes into the conversation we were best friends <laughs> yeah yeah um, and I, that wouldn't have happened in a workplace because you know so actually Mars does have a few cat friendly offices but and lots, oh, really? lots of dog friendly <laughs> offices but uh, yeah. you know that, that sort of thing wouldn't normally happen in a workplace environment so I would say pros and cons with the pandemic I was um I was able to find my way through making really good connection online, finding, incorporating some movement and some activity into sessions, even though they were remote, kept people's energy flowing. I kept people engaged, um, kept me engaged as well. So I didn't fall asleep in my own sessions. So um, uh, it, it's so yes for sure it creates challenges but it doesn't it, it doesn't need to be the barrier it can be made out to be mm, absolutely yeah and yeah I'm afraid to say that there was a cat asleep in the room before I started this but I did take the cat out I'm afraid <laughs> oh right okay well mine's still wandering around right. somewhere so he may, he may he come and visit yeah <laughs> yeah there we go and uh it's interesting looking at some of the things you've written online as well about obviously quite often we talk about the changes that are happening internally within uh organizations but you've commented on i guess wider social changes in terms of uh generations y and z being more motivated by a sense of purpose and personal contribution so i was wondering uh what you've kind of seen in terms of change on that front in terms of uh the kind of outlook of people coming into the workplace and how that's kind of changed the communication needs for work. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's really interesting because that is a belief that I have, but I also have a belief that that would have been a motivator for previous generations if only they had known it was possible. Mm. <laughs> so uh, you know, I think back to even my own generation, you know, I um I'm on the cusp of Boomer and X. Uh, if I had known I was allowed to have purpose in my first job, and my <laughs> first job wasn't in Mars, by the way, it was just a job, um, uh, then it, it would have it would have motivated me too. But I think um, in you know certainly transitioning through the eighties and into the nineties, 
there was just an expectation that you went to work and you did your job and you know there were lots of initiatives starting to come in around effective communication employee engagement etc but it, it wasn't it, it didn't happen you know widely across lots of organizations it was only some enlightened organizations that thought that was a thing um, so I think, you know, there are lots of older people in the workforce that that do want to be motivated by purpose and mm. uh, and as well. Um, I think what it does in terms of uh, the communication function is it means that we really need to speak to hearts and souls and not just minds. Um, and that is going to be something we have to be mindful of as some of the new technology like ChatGPT gets used more and more. Um, my experience so far, and it's not wide, I have to admit, is that ChatGPT can be extraordinarily helpful, but it lacks soul mm. and it lacks heart. So it can help you craft a purpose statement if you feed it information but it still lacks soul. Yeah. It can't feel because it's not alive. <laughs> um, and, and, and it can't therefore know exactly who the hearts and minds are that it's connecting with. So it can build a fantastic generic message. But I think my, in my own view, it still needs to connect in with people's hearts. And I think that's, uh, I think uh, Generation X, Y, Z, other will continue to drive that sense of there has to be more to life than just the work. And some of that also comes from our longevity. So, you know, when I was, when I started work, and this might sound quite weird now, when I started work, the company, uh, so when I joined Mars, um, there was an expectation. I joined Mars when I was 24, so I'd had a little bit of career first. Um, the expectation was you, you started saving for early retirement. Uh, mm. You were out at 50, maybe 55 if you squeezed it a lot, but then you were done. Mm. Um, and, uh, you know, as I went through my career there, obviously that shifted and, and more and more people were staying on beyond that. But um, now we're young people like yourself, Joe, you know, if you're going to live till you're 90, uh, or you know, all things being equal and good health, etc., then you know the the economy can't afford to pay you a pension from when you were fifty, because mm. um, effectively you're living longer than you were working for. Um, so it makes sense that the working life is going to be extended. Uh, you know, I am reaching my sixtieth year, still working, still intending to keep going for as long as I um, have the capability of delivering good value. And I don't think that was the expectation for generation, certainly for the boomer generation, so, and, and probably not for most of generate the early stage of the generation X either. Mm. Now our generations are looking at a 50 year career and that is too long for it, for you not to love your job. Yeah. <laughs> it's just too long. Yeah. And we also have to think about careers differently. So we can expect cyclical careers because you can't keep going up in one career over 50 years. At some mm. point, there's going to be a plateau because we can't all be the boss. Um, you know, So at some point, you're going to hit a ceiling with a job and then you're going to think, right, what do I do now? How do I take my skills somewhere else? You can't necessarily see 
an upward trajectory from a promotion and finance perspective over the course of 50 years. It, it's, it, it almost doesn't make common sense. There is an opportunity, however, for kind of continual reinvention, which the older generations didn't have because their careers weren't so long. So there's an opportunity now to go, right, well, I'm going to give this career a really good shot for 10, 15, maybe 20 years, and then maybe I'll go and reinvent myself again. And do I get myself into a place of financial stability so I retrain and I do something different? Or do I take my transferable skills into a totally different industry so that my mind is fresh and I can try something different? And it's going to be purpose that hooks people into that. I want to work. Yes, money. You know, you know, the hierarchy of needs, of course, we need shelter and we need some enough money, but it's not enough to keep you going for 50 years. Yeah. <laughs> there has to be something. You know, work is just too long mm. in turn in to have a job that you don't love. Yeah. And another thing that I uh, read that you'd uh, written about online uh, was about uh, this shifting organisations from uh, transactional to transformational employee engagement. So yeah. I was wondering if you could maybe then explain uh, what is uh, kind of the differences between those, I guess, and yeah. and whether you think that is something where progress is being made on that front. Yeah, so you know, it, it, it's a way I made sense of what I really wanted to see in terms of employee engagement and um the irony of, of where my career happened was was kind of I I put my own destiny on the wall and I still I still work with this mindset is you know you've won as an employee engagement business partner specialist whatever when your client doesn't need you anymore because you've embedded the work so well in them they fly without you so you're constantly making yourself redundant <laughs> you know, <laughs> what you wish for um if you, if you are working in this space of transformation so for me um mars always used to love any kind of analogy that had anything to do with the mountain we liked summits and things like that so the way i used to describe transformation to to so transaction to transformation was Imagine your journey to the pinnacle of employee engagement when it's just so in your bones, it happens without thinking. It's so embedded in the culture, the way you bring people in, the way you talk with them, the way you communicate with them and listen to them, the way you have synergies between teams. It's just so natural that you don't have to think about it. So imagine that's your summit. You've got to, you've got to find a way there. So... Your transaction, if you like, is the practices that you get into and put in place that take you to base camp. So if you're a mountain climber, it might be about assembling your tools, uh, assembling your team, uh, working out how you're going to communicate, working out what each person contributes to uh, to, to the, the climb uh, and getting into to, to rigorous practice. So for an employee engagement perspective, that might be uh, let's let's measure how we're doing. So let's put a mirror on us and look at uh, through the lens of a survey, perhaps. But it's not about the survey. It's what you do with it. So what's the practice that comes in there? You know, how do you um, take the outcomes of a survey and anal you know, analyze it? not to death, but enough so that you can understand the patterns it might be showing you and how do you then put some actions in place? Because there's very little return on, if any, return on investment in an employee engagement survey if you don't do anything with the outcome. And this takes me back to the agent of change is the team, changing your the world one team at a time. So in, 
the best practice engagement is 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 talked about, measured, and in and done at a team level, because if you try and change it top down, it's just too big. You can put some things in place, but you don't have transparency of then what's happening at a team level. So you, your practices are your 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 what's your conversation formats? What's your uh, action planning process post survey? Um, do you provide people with a rhythm of practice that enables them to embed this to the point where they're ready for the next level? So transaction is what are the tasks we're doing? So it might for employee engagement's sake, it might be survey, uh, look at results, uh, open conversation with team, make a plan, follow through on the plan, measure the results look again you know now we've done that what more can we do um and then and then we might do a sense check again another survey and then the cycle starts again so that might be your transaction you may not be feeling it at this point but it's building a muscle that says this is the rhythm of what we do this is how we have these conversations and then you get to base camp and you can think about how you transform how do you get from base camp to to the summit and that's when things have to become more natural, more fluid. You know, you hit a crevasse. You just know who's going to help you navigate your way across. You know, you have a rock fall or an avalanche. You know, you might tumble back down to base camp. But how do you pick yourselves up and, and move through that crisis together because you're in harmony with each other, because you've built these connections and communications. You know each other's gifts and you can just move through. If you try to do transformation straight away, mm. um, you end up with altitude sickness. So you kind of have to get your basics right. And then over time, that muscle just becomes instinct and it becomes what you do. Um, so that's my, my vision for engagement is when it stops being a thing you do and starts being a who we are. Oh, that's a really good way of thinking about it. And then the last thing that I was going to ask then was you've spoken about how uh, you have a particular passion for working with introverted individuals. So I was wondering what are the kind of differences then in the communication needs of introverted and extroverted people? And do you think organisations are getting better at tailoring their communication towards the kind of needs of individual people? Uh, yeah, I think that's a really, uh, really interesting question to explore from the aspect of communication. Um, and I think um certainly in my experience uh businesses have um perhaps produced communication in way in in one way one size fits all and uh actually there's lots of other personality traits that play into that so if you're producing a lot of written material that you're expecting people to look at there will be certain types of people that will go in and be very, very clear that they're going to read everything. Others that will skim it for some interest. Other people who won't even go unless you've pinpointed something. Uh, some people who will struggle to read long articles and need something short, um, especially with some areas of neurodiversity that will just be too distracted or actually unable to process just a large amount of writing. So that then becomes, if, if we're relying on digital platforms, it then becomes that's an interesting way to think about it. But what we're often asking for in businesses is, you know, the the day to day communication, how decisions get made, how uh, teams solve problems together. 
can be very filtered towards uh, the extrovert uh, nature, which if you look at archetypes is love to have a conversation, like to talk things through, um, want to work, you know, you know, in the moment, um, you know, let's problem solve together and work out where we're going with it. Um, uh, might be um, very verbal, um, might be very energetic and very forward thinking. And, um, we, you know, you, you find that businesses really valuing uh, attributes like thinking on the fly, um, quick decision making. Um, and actually, what when you look at diversity of thoughts, you actually need a balance with that. Because if you're in with in into you know learning on the fly you know instant results, what you're not doing is any thinking. <laughs> yeah, um, you're not always doing any thinking. There are some very brilliant people who can do everything, but they're, they're, they're few and far between. Most of us are good at one and not the other. And what what um, what the uh, those who are more wired for introversion are brilliant at is depth of thought the ability to reflect and deliberate on the nuances, if you like. They are more likely to be the person in a meeting who may be quiet through a meeting, but then says that one thing at the end, you think, blimey, where did that come from? That's really yeah. insightful because everybody else has been so busy talking. And, you know, normally, you know, if you, again, looking at archetypes, the extroverted type tends to like thinking aloud the introverted type prefers to think quietly. Doesn't mm. it's quiet in their heads. It's really busy up here, but it's not coming out. So, um, but the other thing about uh, uh, the introversion preference is they very rarely like being put on the spot. So the worst thing almost you can do with somebody who has an introversion preference is like, oh, we haven't heard from Joe yet. Would you like to say something now? And you're going, hang on a minute. I'm, I'm still posting yeah. over here. Go away and don't look at me. I'm yeah. still thinking. So um, the, the trick is to allow, to, to appreciate the benefit that comes with the introverted mindset. The, you know, the ability to do the deep thinking. They are more likely to be subject matter experts because they're drawn into that deep thought space. So how do you not, not just allow for it, but embrace it as part of your decision-making process? So it may mean the decisions slow down a little, but it means the quality of them is likely to be way above what it would have been if it had been a snap decision from one perspective. Mm. So you, you, would, you, would, you, you embrace that introversion nature to say, so we need some quiet space here. If you know that meeting A is taking place to make a decision, make sure that people have the information in advance. Mm -hmm. Don't do info give plus decision in the same meeting. Info give is static. You don't need to read out a presentation in a meeting when everyone can see what's written on the slides <laughs> or read the white paper. Let people go away and spend as much time as they need on that to start with. So send it as pre-work, not the day before, but a week before. Uh, or even two or three days before, so that those with the introversion preference have time to digest it and think about the questions that they want to ask, so that when they come into the meeting, they know that right. Well, we're making a decision today, so I've got. I now I've now done my thinking. 
Now, it may be that half the people who have an extroverted preference haven't done that pre-work. Well, that doesn't matter because they're going to just dive in in the meeting. But at least then you've got the benefit of that uh, more deliberative thinking, more reflective thinking in the room with you, not happening 20 minutes after the meeting finished because that's when their train of thought finished. Mm. So it's a lot about... Um, embracing all aspects of cognitive diversity and recognizing that uh, the intro the person with the introverted preference doesn't need space making for them they have a really important contribution to make yeah they are likely to be your risk assessors they are likely to be the people that do that deep thinking because you're still off you're off on the next thing and they are extremely valuable um members of a team in a world that is increasingly wired for extroversion and when I work with teams that perhaps are more of that introverted nature the the way we design the session is just more thoughtful and reflective there will be pre-work there will be plenty of opportunity for them to go away and do a bit of thinking before they have to come and plonk their ideas down on the table doesn't mean you can't have a reasonably pacey session but you're you're being slightly calmer about the way it's delivered and slightly less pressured in terms of time and that concludes another enlightening episode of the history of internal communication podcast thank you to this month's guest liz clayton jones for sharing her insights and thank you listeners for tuning in to the History of Internal Communication podcast. Come back in December for our next episode, in which we'll be speaking to Katie Marlowe and Dan Holden, the chair and outgoing chair of CIPR Inside, the internal communication section of the CIPR. Until next time, why not visit our website www.historyofinternalcoms.org, where you'll soon be able to view our upcoming blog post, Industrial Thespionage which looks at the use of celebrities in internal communication across the 20th century. Thank you for listening, and I look forward to you joining us again in December. <laughs>